Welcome to Stand Out in ELT. I'm Ola Kowalska and I'm the host of this extraordinary podcast. I wanted to bring you a platform where you hear from myself and other amazing and inspiring people who have created their success and stand out in ELT. People say that English language teaching is a saturated market, so it's absolutely crucial that you know how to stand out. And I'm going to teach you how to do it. And I'm going to inspire you to take action. So, welcome to this space. And I can't wait for you to stand out and build your legacy in ELT. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode. I'm so happy you're here again. And today I wanted to talk about something really inconvenient and quite nasty, maybe a bit uncomfortable. But first... I wanted to thank you so much for all your lovely comments and responses to the latest episode where I spoke to Chubby about language coaching. We really both appreciate it. So thank you so, so much. And today, let's just, let's just do it. Let's just break the taboo and talk about the things that nobody ever really talks about. So... I've had a big, big thing and I've come up with five. I'm sure I could come up with more, but I've come up with five inconvenient facts about English teaching and the English language teaching world that nobody talks about. And I wanted to talk about them as a natural rebel um, and tell you why I think it's important to be addressing those points. Um, So my first point, um, I'm I'm guessing it won't be a surprise. I've already done an episode about it. If you haven't listened to it, it's actually the first of my episodes um, about native speakers. So I still know as a fact that native speakers in the English language teaching world still have it easier. And I say it as a non-native English um, speaker who actually is quite successful. I still see the bias. I still see the need and the demand for us to be fighting with it, basically. I still see the need for education. It's it's a never-ending topic. It's it's we always have to we there will always be someone that we come across that will think that just because somebody was born in an english speaking country they can teach you english more effectively i don't know how maybe by osmosis or some other process but just by being around this person you would just learn um the language better and i think it's it's still still something that a lot of uh, students believe, a lot of institutions believe. I even read online that, uh, which is, you know, to some extent, it's, it's, it's obvious, especially in Asia, that in a lot of countries, obviously, they would only hire native speakers. We know about the... Um, quite a scandalous um, situation from last year when China actually um, stopped stopped allowing non-native speakers to work as English teachers in China. And now apparently in Japan, up until 2022, they want to hire 20,000 English native speakers to be teachers in public sector, which which is quite sad, you know, because on the other hand, you have this statistic that apparently mm, right now, ESL speakers, English as a second language speakers, outnumber 
native English speakers by two to one. So like you are eventually, we are, the world is eventually going to run out of native speakers, which, you know, obviously is not the point here, but there are still those beliefs that are not allowing non-native speakers to be as successful in the field. I see it every day. I see it on social media, especially. Unfortunately, it's still the case that when a native speaker opens um, an account, and it's not a very clever account, to be honest, uh, they gain popularity very, very simply, very easily, or a YouTube channel or something like that. I know what I'm talking about might be a little bit controversial, but we just have to admit that's still the status quo. Um, On the other hand, so obviously I'm not saying that it will be, I'm not generalizing, I'm not saying that a non-native speaker cannot be successful. I mean, that would be hypocritical. I'm a non-native speaker, I'm quite successful in the field. Um, But I'm saying that there is still this underlying belief that native speakers, they, they, they are just a bit better. So I want to just keep challenging that. And I know that my friends who are native speakers and teachers and my clients and people in my community, they would agree because they they also deeply disagree with uh, the whole us and them distinction because there is no such thing. We're all qualified professionals. We all have our strengths. We all have things that we can share with our students. We all have valuable skills that uh, are going to be useful for our potential students in different ways. And that's the way we should be looking at it. But unfortunately, in many parts of the world and in many areas of English language teaching, that's still not the case. So I just want to encourage you to not make the situation worse. Unfortunately, uh, I recently... Um, took part in a very, very um, saddening discussion on a Facebook group where I said that this is how much I charged when I used to run my language school. And somebody said, um, that's that's a really good um, rate, especially since you're a non-native speaker. And I was like, really? Is that necessary? Like, what does that even mean? So I could charge more if I was a native speaker, but oh, you're just, you know, you're you're just like this, 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 um, like poor imitation. So it's it's good that you can charge that much. Obviously, it's ridiculous, but it's just sad because it was said by another non-native speaker, and um, and I I don't like it. I still don't like it. So that's my truth. Number one, inconvenient, but it's a fact. Number two, I thought for a while that the urgency for English language teaching services has decreased. I even said that to a friend. I said, oh, it's not that urgent. It's not that, you know, big of a deal anymore for people. But I was wrong. I did my research, but I also just had a massive reflection around it. And I just don't think it's the case. Um, And my arguments are that it's actually become more popular and more urgent, but it's just the whole ELT world has become so saturated that it's easy 
for us to fall into the trap of thinking that mm, there are just so many teachers now, there are so many learners, so there, there just the demand is lower. The demand is lower because you know the the learners have been spread onto more teachers, more schools, more opportunities to learn the language. But I don't think the actual demand has decreased. So when I did my research, um, I found out that um, the whole industry, the TEFL industry, is actually still increasing. It's increasing by 10% every year, apparently. And they say that um, an estimate of 2 billion people uh, will be learning English by the end of 2022, which is quite significant, isn't it? So there is a lot of fish in the pond, isn't there? So, and also another argument and another um, reason why I believe that the urgency is still there is that the marketing of for example, language apps or the marketing of language institutions and schools and the demand for teachers is still extremely high. Like if you think about apps such as Duolingo or all those other ones um, that are quite popular at the moment, I mean, they're spending millions on their marketing. This must mean something. Okay, so the urgency is still there. The popularity is still there, but it's just a lot of competition. And that's just a fact. Truth number three, um, we as teachers, that's something from a completely different sort of area, we keep forgetting about the bigger picture. Let me tell you what I mean by this. So unfortunately, sometimes fortunately, but usually unfortunately, um, lots of teachers, especially the ones who want to become entrepreneurs in the ELT field, they unfortunately forget about the bigger picture. They forget that language learning is not just language learning. For many people, if you ask them, why do you want to learn language? They would never say, because I want to improve my English. Okay, which we, for some reason, um, sort of believe to be the case. I think that we don't fully understand what people actually want to achieve with their English. It becomes a bit easier when we work with a niche of like business English or exam preparation, because then there is some sort of a tangible goal. But if we're general English teachers or coaches, then we it's, it's very easy to forget that the picture is so much bigger. And we sometimes forget to ask. I feel that we fall into the trap of thinking that people just want to improve, get better, more, no more, no more vocabulary, no more grammar. And like, that's the end. Obviously, it's not. When you ask people, when you actually have deep conversations with people who are still learning the language, they would tell you that they want to improve their quality of their lives. Very often they do it to get a better job. Sometimes they do it like I've met moms who would just want to improve their English to have some me time, you know. It's such an important factor. For people, it's so much more than just learning a useful expression or just learning how to use present continuous. It's just the whole world around it. And I think we should be thinking about 
it more. Also, from a business point of view, it helps with marketing. It when you actually tune into the needs and the desires of a of an of a language learner, obviously it will depend on a niche that you pick. It will be much easier for you to create some sort of a picture of who they will become once they've improved. So you're not actually offering them help in improving their English. You're offering so much more. And I want us to be thinking about it more. Problem number four. That's a problem that I think learners mainly have, but I think we contribute to the problem so, so much that I'm actually annoyed and I want everybody to stop now. People, so students, learners, they want quick fixes, some of them. Obviously, there are people who are passionate, who learn um, English just because it's, uh, just because, you know, it's it's pleasure it's it's for for pleasure or because you know it it gives them something more rather than just the grammar the vocabulary and and the skills and everything it's just it's just a whole identity of someone who is fluent for example and i think they sometimes cannot express it or express it or sometimes they don't really realize it very well so they demonstrate it by wanting those quick fixes. So for example, I'm going to learn a a useful expression or an idiom here. And I'm like, are you actually ever going to use this idiom ever? Like, I mean, it's, it's fun to see an interesting idiom somewhere, but is it going to take you any further? Is it actually going to... So no matter where that student, that learner is on that spectrum of, okay, I'm learning... English to get a better job or to pass IELTS or something or if they do it for pure pleasure like is learning a a new useful quote-unquote expression taking them there because I feel it's just this quick fix and like this um I would even say shiny object syndrome so when I look at Instagram and when I look at posts that constantly give people sets of new vocabulary phrases I'm like okay but what's what's what what else is there how are those people going to benefit from it what is it bringing into their lives how is it contributing to their progress because sorry nobody's nobody's ever improved their language skills by just memorizing some language. I know there are some people who do it very well, who do lots of things around that vocabulary. And that's, I guess, I guess that's absolutely justified. But people might think that they want that, you know, students, because they don't know better. That's what they see. If I I, I, honestly, I would love to know how many uh, English teachers there are on Instagram nowadays. I think it has to be like, hundreds of thousands um and if all students see is vocabulary and another post with the difference between make and do or expressions with make and do or a, a difference between say and tell then i'm questioning it all i'm questioning whether it is um really the way we want to go if it's if it's something that's 
that's actually one is going to help those people yes if it if it's if if we're thinking about those quick fixes yes of course because it gives them this instant gratification they see a colorful interesting post with an expression that they've never seen before so obviously it creates nice feelings so they might even like it or comment on it but in the long run what's in it for them and from this and and the second perspective here is how is that helping your marketing Seriously, how is that helping your marketing? Are you literally marketing your services by um, showing people, here are five expressions. These are the expressions. These are in, like the similar expressions that I teach in my lessons. Do you think that's going to convince someone to sign up for your lessons? Because if you do, then I'd, I'd change your mind <laughs> if I were you. Um, so I just want to all of you to think about it more critically okay again this is i've said it before but it's not a critique of those posts it's a critique of the way we think about it it's a critique of um our attitude and contributing to the problem of not giving people deep enough content of um Again, it doesn't have to be super deep. Obviously, you don't have to make people think about philosophical <laughs> concepts, but it should have some sort of a purpose. It should have um, an idea behind it and a purpose and a marketing or social media marketing strategy. That's from a business perspective. So this might be controversial. Let me know if it triggered you in the comments under this post, under this podcast. But that's that's just my opinion about, uh, about it. And there is one more inconvenient truth that I wanted to share with you. It's probably the juiciest one, um, but you'll have to be patient because there is a little break coming up. But don't go anywhere. It's only 45 seconds long and I'll be back very, very soon. I'm Andrea Leal, I'm Brazilian and I live in Spain. I'm a business English teacher and Ola has helped me a lot. Together we have created my own program, um, a LinkedIn strategy, an Instagram strategy and a lot more. We had eight sessions and it's amazing like how many ideas and how many different things she can come up with uh, in only 45 minutes and I was always amazed, it was always really fun and useful advice and I just loved it. <laughs> Thank you Ola. Welcome back and here is the last one. So my last um, thought, fact, I wanted to talk to you about um, is concerned about money. My favorite topic in the world. So how come the TEFL market is a, literally a multi-billion dollar market, but yet English teachers are still expected to teach at less than $5 an hour or charge something like $10 an hour? I honestly do not understand that. So I think this point might be connected with um, point number two, the fact that the market is saturated and people just genuinely losing trust and also 
companies obviously abusing the situation. But again, I want to challenge that so much. In my opinion, we live in an era, and again, this might be connected with my point number two, where I think that there is still a great demand for English language teaching services, and there is still lots of urgency, but there are just different ways in which we have to approach finding students and bringing value to them. Um, I'm not saying it's easy, but, but it's as simple as that. I think we're approaching times in which language schools are going to lose their credibility. I think people who are specialized in things that are very specific to their uh, students' needs are literally the future. I think that the more specialized you are, the better for you. I think it makes it easier to justify higher prices. And I think it genuinely helps to connect with people that will need your services. So obviously, it's not easy because we are conditioned to believe so many things about not only ELT, but especially I think it's generally a very shit industry. <laughs> and I've been in it for 13 years, so I know what I'm talking about. But um, also we, again, we contribute to it because of our limiting beliefs. We believe that, oh, because it's a shit industry, there is nothing we can do about it, right? But that's just false. We can literally do everything about it. And this this is where the power, the strength comes from. It should comes from down under, and I don't mean Australia. <laughs> it should come from us, from people who really believe in our mission, who from people who know that they can help, who have been effective in their teachings, in their business, in their um, whatever they do to help. It doesn't even have to be business, but especially when you're thinking about opening a business or if you're already running an English language teaching business, then I think you should be thinking about it from that perspective. Um, why do brands or language schools still charge millions um, for lessons. Like one example, I think I must have mentioned it in some other episode, but the school I, where I worked was paying teachers about £19 an hour, but a student um, was charged £75 for 45 minutes. Can you believe that? Because it is outrageous. And it's, it's not like I'm blaming anyone. No, it's nobody's fault. It's the way things are. But we don't have to accept the way things are because we don't have to be part of it. We can change it for ourselves. Um, but no change happens overnight. So I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely definitely on a mission to change and shake things up in the ELT world a little bit. Because we've been, as I said before, we've been conditioned to believe it's, it's just the way it is. You have to work hard for the money. Um, you have to make or work crazy hours. You have to have as many students as possible. What if it, that wasn't the case? What if you could actually find something that you're just amazing at? What if you discovered 
something that you can help a very specific group of people with. And I understand that for your 10-year experience of teaching English or however many years of experience you've got, that you've been teaching kids, teenagers, adults, business English, IELTS, CAE, FCE, and all that stuff, DVD. Um, But it doesn't mean that you have to keep doing that. It's actually absolutely okay. It's safe for you to pick one group of people that you want to help the most. And it's not selfish. That's, again, a limiting belief. And also, when you actually find that special thing that you're good at and you find that special group of people that you know you can help and you enjoy helping, charging great money for it will be a no-brainer, will be a no-brainer. So I genuinely want to help um, entrepreneurs with that whole money mindset stuff because I think it comes up so much and especially in our um, line of work. We're just, we, we are like, this is as if it was our destiny to suffer in silence, basically. Because we've been made to believe that we should, that we're the givers, we're the facilitators, we're the helpers, we're on a mission, so we shouldn't expect money. I mean, that's just bullshit. Sorry. Politicians are on a mission as well, but they still make good money. So, you know, it's, it, it can all be changed. And I'm, again, I'm not saying it's easy, but it has to be done. So if you're ready to make a change, and if you haven't heard, I don't know if that's possible, but if you haven't heard of my challenge, I'm running a free challenge for English language teaching professionals. It's starting on the 17th of January. It's called Get Richer Teacher. Uh, and I really, really would love for you to be there. I'm going to teach you all about those money blocks, money beliefs, old money stories that we as educators, so it's super specific to us teachers, coaches, trainers, that we used to believe and still believe basically, how to remove them, how to identify that zone of your potential where you can help people, where those people that you can help um, are genuinely people you would enjoy working with, where I will also teach you about what are some activities that you might still be doing as a teacher that are basically a waste of your time and a waste of your money. And also, I'm going to give you some ideas of money-making activities. And I'm going to show you what to invest in. And I want to show you what offers to create, because it also depends on those offers. You can't be teaching one-to-ones all the time. I do teach one-to-ones, I mean, teach, um, coach on one-to-ones, but it's a choice. So you can do it, but you don't have to. There are smarter ways as well. And I'm going to talk to you about pricing as well. So if you're ready for a week of awesomeness and talking about money a lot, and if it triggers you, because, you know, sometimes thinking that you you might want to make a little bit more money um, and then you suddenly feel guilty that you do think that is also a money block. And I want you to challenge that. Um, think about it in a different way. So if you're ready for that, please join my challenge. The link is in my bio. Uh, it also pops up if you go to my website at www.olakowalska.com. Um 
So just sign up, join us there and change at least one of those stupid, inconvenient facts about the ELT industry. Let's start making some real money uh, because we're already making a great impact. Being a teacher is your superpower. You know how to do it. But developing a business mindset and business skills can be tricky. So if you're a bit lost or maybe fed up with figuring it all out on your own, don't worry. I've created this podcast and other free resources to help you. Follow me on Instagram for a daily dose of education, energy, motivation and fun. If you're interested in working with me, please get in touch and I'll be very happy to tell you about ways of working with me. Don't be a stranger. Say hello from time to time on social media. I love getting to know you better. You're my ELT tribe. And for now, bye and until next time.